Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now it's time for Inside the Clubs, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction. Starring Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine and Matt Spiegel. It all starts right here, right now, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Good morning and welcome into Inside the Clubhouse Chicago Baseball 52 weeks a year with our man Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Good morning, Matt. And uh, it is our last show of 2018. We will share with you some of the highlights of Chicago baseball, baseball moments in 2018 with you in the next two hours. We encourage you to share yours as well at 312-644-6767. Text Matt at 67011 to get your points across all throughout our show. We will be joined by baseball um, longtime manager and now assistant to the Detroit Tigers GM and also assistant to Joe Torrey with Major League Baseball Jim Leland will join us at 10 o'clock. I'm looking forward to that. I've actually never spoken to Leland um, all the way through these years, his career and and, and my, you know, incredibly smaller career. But boy, I I mean, Jim Leland, legendary stuff and a brilliant guy. The show is about you, the Chicago baseball fan. And as Matt said, 52 weeks out of the year, we talk to you every Saturday from 9 to 11. And by the way, Matt... Inside the Clubhouse brought to you by Max and Benny's in Northbrook, your home for the best food in Chicagoland. Here's the checklist. The best deli. Yes, indeed. The best full restaurant, without a doubt. The best bakery on the North Shore, no doubt about that. Max and Benny's dinners from 4 to 9 p.m. feature full meals of roast beef, chicken, the freshest whitefish and salmon in the city. Bakery goods to die for include sugar cookies, mandel bread, and homemade bagels and bialis. Private party room. And business meeting area, seats 10 to 150. Catering is king. Ask for John at MaxandBennies.com. 30 minutes from downtown, 30 minutes from the Wisconsin border. Love you some Max and Bennies in Northbrook. Love you some holiday season, I'm sure. I hope it was a nice holiday for you and your family. We're hoping everybody out in our listening audience as well. At this point, Bruce, there are almost 200 unsigned free agents. Not many not many deals have been signed. It looks like we're headed towards another spring where uh, Scott Boris will put together his own spring training down there in Florida. There might be another one out there in Arizona. It would be a bunch of free agents looking for jobs. You got this weird situation where the the teams spending all the money still want to stay below the de facto cap. And there is no salary cap floor, so you've got the tankers just not spending any money. So unless you're the twins and you're sneaking in there with some, uh, you know, uh, with with some sneaky little deals for Nelson Cruz and Jonathan Scope and stuff like that, there's just not a lot of movement. Been a very slow off season so far. Here's your additions to the Chicago Cubs since oh, um, 
November when uh, Cole Hamels was signed to was uh, his option was picked up for twenty million. Mm-hmm. David Descalso, two year deal. That's the exciting one. Kendall Graveman, two year deal. Yeah, no crickets. Um, departures: Tommy Listella, uh, Daniel Murphy, Justin Wilson, Jesse Chavez. To mention just a, a few of the uh, main players for the Chicago White Sox. Additions, uh, Alex Colomay, James McCann, Yonder Alonso. Some work done there. Much more exciting. Departures, um, Garcia, Matt Davidson, mm. James Shields, Hector Santiago, uh, Avi, we hardly knew you. He was the guy with the most, the we, longest the we, longest tenure. I would say we knew Chicago. him pretty well. We knew him pretty well. We, he had the longest tenure of any White Sox player when he left. He came in 2013. Wow. <laughs> I know, yeah. That's Talk, a grizzled old White Sox veteran. Well, Amazing. I mean, you know, you saw it with the same rebuild with the Chicago Cubs uh, back when uh, Epstein took over, Epstein and Hoyer took over in 2011. Uh, you know, it wasn't, there, there, I think there are, Seven now since 2011 um, on the 40 man roster, there's uh, I think 10 homegrown players, but only seven of note Baez, Contreras, Elmora, Bryant, Schwarber, Hap, and Bodie. If you want to include him, I think they, Every, uh, they wish they had came, a few more. Everyone else came through t- trade free agency. The Cubs hot stove, Bruce, is a barren, dusty, empty, wood burning stove in the middle of a deserted cabin, you know? And Kendall Graveman is like a soggy log you got to let dry over the course right. of a rehab year. And it, it seems the only potential source of flame um, inside the hot stove is. The embers of past fires that maybe are going to reignite themselves. That's the way Theo's been talking about it, that everybody's got to coach themselves up and make their nonlinear development suddenly linear, got to improve from within. As one of the regular callers wanted me to remind you and me, the Cubs won 95 games last They year. sure did. Okay. With Chris Bryant and that, not being and himself the, and missing uh, a lot of time. The Epstein-Hoyer theory that the answers lie within um, – have some credence. It's not if the White Sox said that after losing a hundred this year, that would be a different story. Uh, the answers don't all lie within. As a matter of fact, um, how many of those players, uh, starting players, will be at uh, their positions or even on the team in 2020 when they're expected to be? A very competitive team. Hmm. It's been fun to see the White Sox so active going after the heavy hitters of Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. Do, are, are we to believe this former Orioles beat writer Dan Clark Sports who tweeted yesterday that the Yankees, Phillies, and White Sox have all made their final offers to Manny Machado and it is indeed New York where he'll be heading. Announcement expected early January. Dan Clark used to be an Orioles beat writer. Mm-hmm. Now he's out of the business. He stands by it a little bit later on in his, in his, uh, in his feed. He says, I will put my Cajones on the line for this um, and and absolutely is reporting this as definitive I don't know fact. what they're worth at this point. But, <laughs> um, and, you know, I'm, for the record, I'm not interested. I'm well, all right I mean, with mine. You know, uh, we have to pay attention to every rumor out there. That's just the, the nature of the business now because anybody can have a credible source. I'm sure he has many uh, with agents and, and people like that through his years of covering. So, right. We don't deny anything. We just look into it. We spend our time searching it out. Um, Final offer. I I probably have a problem going from last week where he visited the teams for the first time to a final offer. Um, 
I would say that that might have been planted as something to get teams more motivated to move move on and make a final offer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, Machado's camps pretty much said last week that they were going to uh, make their decision in early January. Right. So that that dovetails, and and the Yankees make all the sense in the world for Machado. They 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 absolutely do. They, they do if they want to pay the price that he wants. Right. I mean, uh, we haven't heard one iota of a even a rumor for either Machado or Harper as far as years and money. The Harper market is really strange to me because I'm trying to figure out who is very much clearly in. I know the White Sox are. Right. We don't know what the offer is. Do we know that the Dodgers are really even in, whether no, Harper wants no. them or not? No, we don't. No, We uh, know the Phillies are interested, but supposedly Harper not interested in them. Uh, the Nationals are, I think, still still alive as a possible I, I would destination. Say, I would say they are. Okay. And then the Cubs, where do, where do the Cubs stand? They tell well, Scott Morris to wait around. According to John Heyman, and we talked about it with you and, and Mark Grody earlier in the week on the score, uh, according to John Heyman, he insisted that um, – if the Cubs uh, can move a uh, salary, and we're going to talk about Jason Hayward here, that they are the front runner to obtain Bryce Harper. And uh, I, I imagine, you know, the way that John Heyman is piped in, and, and he is certainly uh, one of the very best uh, in the business as far as breaking news, the way he's piped into to Scott Boris, I, I'm sure you have to read between the lines as to trying to figure out exactly what he's trying to say. That's well I mean, said. You know, again, do you you take that as, hey, you know what? We haven't really heard from the Dodgers. You know, they so, need a market, right? They, if you're Boris and Harper, they need I, a market. I, mean, I don't know what the market is, Matt. What is the strength of the Dodgers as far as is their lineup goes? Left-handed hitting, yeah. I mean, they need right-handed hitting. They've just traded two of their big bats in Kemp and Puig mm-hmm. to Cincinnati. They are they have a ton full of left-handed power. What they're looking for is a catcher and a trade for Real Muto or a pitcher or a pitcher. And you know, the, the idea that Kluber may not be available now because Cleveland's cleared eight million dollars of payroll coming into this year that they'll be able to hold on to him. Uh, that that might be a reality, but you know, are the Dodgers really there with an offer? If they do have an offer, is it anywhere near the ten, twelve years that uh, Boris and uh, Harper are looking for? I don't. I, I we don't know yet. We certainly haven't heard it yet. So the teams are taking their time, and uh, and and I, I the Harper market may, that may drag on for quite a while here. Right. Um, in order to clear space with Jason Hayward, which feels like a pipe dream on the surface, if you are the Cubs, mm-hmm. he's got a hundred and six million dollars left for five years, and. If you, help Cub fans understand the possibilities here. If they were to send him, say, to the Giants, right, mm-hmm. and they would take on some bad contracts with Melanson, Mark Melanson, or Johnny Cueto, or Evan Longoria, um, or they Samarja. could or Samarja, um, they could still send some money, however much they want, to the Giants in terms of eating some Hayward money. Right. Like they can do that, and that will offset what they end up having to pay against the, the salary cap or the, the average annual value. Well, the creativity is that if the Cubs go over this year uh, between 20 to $30 million, they'll only pay 12 to 15 
percent on every dollar they go over as far as a fine goes. Because uh, the, the, the thing is, is that when you, you haven't gone over two years in a row, the penalties are not that steep. Mm-hmm. So if you go over twenty million dollars, you know what is it three point five million? If you go, uh, if you're uh, paying the tax, you know for for that amount, it's not it's not a big deal. My point is that uh, Matt is that they can wash the money easily and have the same type of payroll if they can move Hayward, bring on another contract, and add Harper if they want, absorbing the penalty for one year, knowing knowing that sixty million again six zero million come off of their payroll obligations for 2020. All right. So the Red Sox went over the tax this past year and will not do so this coming year. And they paid $11 million. Right. So, so we'd always thought that the Cubs would be willing to get over that tax this coming year and then step back next year to make sure they don't get the recurring penalties. But all this talk but, of money and where they are has made me think that they don't want to get over the tax. Well, but, but I mean, it is dollars spent as well. Okay. Forget about the luxury tax itself. If you're still stepping up 20, 30, 40 million, it's still an outlay of money regardless, you know, regardless of whether you have to pay tax on it. It's, it's probably more than they want to do. But again, uh, Epstein and Hoyer can walk into Mr. Um, Ricketts' office or Crane Kenny's office and say, sit down and say, hey, we have $60 million coming off next year. We have $20 million for Hamels, 12 for Zobris, 11 for Morrow, 6 for Ciszek, 6 for Strope. Certainly we're going to replace some of those guys, but not with the same payroll structure. Certainly we'll have arbitration players making more money, but we hope to wrap some of those up in long-term deals within the next year as well. And the creativity of that Mm -hmm. and the idea that what is the goal here? Is the goal to get rid of Hayward's contract or is the goal really to have more slug in your outfield? Well, is the goal to to get rid of Hayward's contract and get way under or also to, to free up the spot? Like, if you get rid of Hayward and yeah. you take on Johnny Cueto and you're like, you know what, maybe this will work out, maybe not for Johnny Cueto. Or, or you grab Melanson and say maybe he'll return to form or he could be a, a middle-inning reliever if he's not going to be the end-of-game end of reliever. You still, by removing Hayward, have freed up the spot for Bryce Harper in right field. And then if you're willing to go over the tax, like you say, then, then you just do it. You see, the point, I think, is certainly money is an issue. But I think the main point is being missed by people. Outside of Schwarber, who had 27 homers and, I don't know, maybe 45, 50 uh, extra base hits, you had no slug in your outfield. None, okay? Mm-hmm. I mean, you had Hap part-time with 15 home runs. You had um, you, you had Elmore in center with six or seven home runs. You had Hayward with seven or eight home runs. You had Zobris with maybe five or six home runs from the right field spot when he was in the outfield as opposed to second base. More importantly, forget about the homers, the OPS, the slug. It's just not there, okay? You cannot have an entire outfield of guys. One is a, you know, uh, you don't want to start Schwarber against many left-handers. So what kind of slug do you have 
you know, in that outfield when he's not out there. So the, the point is that Harper is going to be a slugging type outfield. If you don't, let's say they, they move Hayward's contract somehow mm-hmm. and they don't, they don't sign Harper. Okay. You've accomplished equaling the money, but you still have room to bring in an AJ Pollock and maybe get some slug and a better answer to some right-handed pop in uh, center field. What you're saying, I think, is that as long as Hayward is here, you're going to have to play him some way. Like, is he a $20 million, or sorry, $24 million fourth outfielder next year? No, I mean, And they they don't have anybody who should start over him in terms of slugging. The the point is, it's not, this is not an indictment of Hayward, who I think we've known who he is for a long time now. It's an indictment of the fact that nobody else in that outfield has stepped up and will continue to slug and so that you can have Hayward, who's yeah. a superior defender and a sixth, seventh, or eighth hitter in your lineup to just, you know, occasionally make some contact and occasionally drive in some runs. When when they signed Hayward to this deal, uh, if you look back on it, it really reads like they were hoping he would opt out at this point after three years. But, of course, he's not going to. And he now has – he had a full no-trade clause the first three years of the deal. Now he has a partial – for years four and five, what is it? It's 12 teams, Bruce, that he can say no 12 to? 12 teams. We don't know if the Giants are on it. Okay. And then after those five years, he's a 10 and five guy and he can have a after, say no to everybody. Uh, another year. Yeah. After another year after this, he's a 10 and five guy and you can't trade him without his permission. Mm-hmm. Greg Maddox told me um, when Jim Henry came to him and was going to trade him a second time, I said, well, you had a right to say no. You had a no trade. He goes, Players don't really have a right to say no. If a team comes to you, when Jim came to me and he said, uh, we can trade you to the Padres, we have a you know a deal on the table if you'll accept it. In my mind, in most players' mind, it's, hey, you're really not wanted here any longer and you better move on to somewhere where they want you. And I think in, in most players' minds, that's what you have to accept. Whether you have a no trade or not, you have to accept the idea that you're not necessarily wanted there or you're not a good fit in the mind of the people you work for and therefore it's incumbent upon you to really consider finding a spot where it's acceptable for you to go and for the team to get back what they need well because imagining Hayward coming back here after he's been told we'd like to trade you and he says no then you've got a a level of discomfort I mean he's obviously such a pro and has been put up with anything and and everything that he's had to the other thing is that before you go to that guy you better make sure your deal is in place yeah so you don't end up with egg on your face having asked him and then not being able to get it done it's not the first time but the idea is in this uh, time of sensitivity and transparency and full disclosure Mm -hmm. how sensitive are we to pull the trigger on what you want to do business-wise. So basically, folks, uh, they would have to get very creative to remove either money and or that outfield body in order to free the space for Harper. I I, I find it so unlikely, but I'm sure that Boris and Harper will hang around until the Cubs tell them we are definitively out. Matt, we'll uh, we'll explore the uh, the other side of it, the the Giants and their contracts with Hayward. Also come back and we'll check with you on – your highlights of the Chicago 2018 season from the Cubs and Sox perspective. What were your most thrilling times, uh, your thrilling highlights? We'll give you some of ours. 
Matt, Mike, Jim, Fred, hold on. We'll get to your calls as well. Especially Fred's call. This hour is brought to you by Grandview Homes. Grandview will buy your home today. Go to grandviewhomes.com. It's inside the clubhouse on the score. That ball is crushed. Higashioka left center angle. <laughs> Jason what Benetti. was he doing out there? That was a great call from White Sox TV. Adam Angle with two of those back-to-back. Just the odds that you would get the opportunity, you know, that somebody would hit a ball to a, that kind of spot where a center fielder can time it and get there and have an opportunity to make the play, and then he did it two nights in a row. I was there for one of them. I forget whether it was the first one or the second one. It was... It was the Yankees. Were they both Yankees games? One was Giancarlo Stanton. I think they were. Uh, and, uh, and it was a great atmosphere uh, there. And just a, a, a terrific, terrific play by Adam Angle. That's one of the highlights of the White Sox season uh, for, for, for what it was with not a lot of big what wins. What are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that I had Zach Withers also looking for Yolmer Sanchez pouring Gatorade on himself. I thought that would be a we, highlight we of the year as well. We found a picture of it. Unfortunately, no sound, yeah, no sound. from the uh, interview after the game. There are some players who made some plays and had some moments during the games that are, are worthwhile highlights. Well, uh, how many did Javier Baez have? But you're talking about the White, White Sox. White Sox, yeah. Oh, certainly. You know, I mean, uh, there were uh, Tim Anderson's ascension to being a better than below average shortstop this year. There were plenty of highlights of him at shortstop this year. Uh, there were um, plenty of home runs, and we have a few of them. Uh, certainly, yeah. Polka's home runs were. Uh, legendary for White Sox fans in 2018. Uh, as far as a team that lost 100 games, uh, 162, it's it's really hard to define the big moments. This is uh, Tim Anderson, who got a lot better on defense and also hit a milestone of sorts with homers. Head ball. Stay fair. It will. You can put it on the ball. Tim Anderson with his 20th homer of the year. And you mentioned, you mentioned Daniel Palka, who kind of took over in terms of uh, right. what, what the, where the power was coming from and where some of the fun was coming from for White Sox fans. One and two. He told you after the game the other day that he was 100% looking home run. And uh, that is probably the mindset here. He actually doesn't want to try to hit it far. It's more like he just wants to hit it hard. And when he hits it hard, then it goes far. So Daniel Palka, that's a walk-off, 27 homers, 67 ribs, and 449 plate appearances. Yeah, obviously uh, your DH going into 2019. <clears throat> Matt and I are asking you for your highlights from 2018 for your Cubs, Sox, or other teams that you root for, and also what are the main things you are looking for for your club in 2019. 312-644-6767. Um, you talk about highlight packages. It's it's hard for us to pull out all that is the Chicago Cubs when it comes to highlights because of the fact that how many of those would be Javier Baez 
running down a pop-up. Javier Baez making a great play in the hole. Javier Baez making a great tag. Javier Baez on the base pass. I mean, the incredible amount of energy and highlights that this player provided, not only the Chicago Cub fan base, but I think all major league teams, when you look at maybe the most exciting, if not right there with the Mookie Betts and and Mike Trout is the most exciting players in, in Major League Baseball. I think that is fair to say. And when I think about the Baez highlights, part of me wanted to go back and grab him just standing there on first base while uh, pitchers were trying to pick him off and he just right. stood there taunting because there's something about that swagger that created chaos. This right. was in San Diego in the 10th inning. Yeah, St. Louis, excuse me, uh, in the in the 10th inning. The runner goes, the pitch inside. A bad throw to center, to second. It goes into center field, and Baez goes to third. The ball bobbled out there. Baez heading home. The throw to the plate. Baez scores. Baez scores all the way from first. Two errors on the play. He gets a stolen base. The catcher hedges through the ball into center field. Margo, the center fielder, juggled it. It bounced off his glove. Baez scores, Cubs lead 5-4. That was uh, indeed San Diego as Manny Margot with a little bobble out there. The point is he took advantage, did Baez, of every opportunity like that and uh, oftentimes would create it. You'd see guys freak out in the infield as he was taunting them to go around the bases. The human highlight package. Without question. Uh, lots of walk-off opportunities um, for the Cubs and lots of uh, walk-off moments. Maybe this one from Jason Hayward was the biggest and until later in the year anyway. Hayward hits a high fly ball. Deep right field. That goes Altair. It's got a chance. Grand slam. Grand slam. Jason Hayward. Cubs win the ball game. Jason Hayward with the walk-off there. And, I mean, just the fact that it was... Hayward, in and of itself, is, was, was, was enough. That's June the 6th when they beat the Phillies. Um, but do you think I, – I think everybody's going to look back at you, Bodie. You know, I think we forget that Hayward had a very good first, first three months. Half. Yeah. Yeah. It, it tailed back into what are we doing uh, for the last three months. Mm-hmm. It, it really – he was back to being the uh, softest contact hitter in baseball the last three months. But the first three, there were some substantial – Games where he helped win, where he had extra base hits that mattered and uh, was doing a, a pretty good job. And we we looked at Hayward at the time of that Grand Slam and thought, oh, boy, as you say, like, oh, it's kind of the resurgence here. And isn't this wonderful? And it it did feel good. The but work it of Chili Davis. Yeah, but it settled back in. Uh, I, I think the Grand Slam everyone will look back on, though, is that Sunday nighter against the Washington Nationals. Two and two on David Bodie trying to come through. And the pitch on the way. Bodie drives one in the air. Deep center field. Back goes Taylor. It's got a chance. It's a grand slam. A grand slam for David Bodie. And the Cubs have won the ball game. Can you believe it? From 3-0 to 4-3 walk-off win with a swing of the bat. And that's what championship caliber teams are made of. Okay, That's what we've seen over the years in baseball when you have that and the ability to be blanked and look bad a whole game and with a a couple of very good at-bats ahead of that Grand Slam, boom, uh, you win that ball game. And that's that's how you win 95 games, 
wasn't enough to win the division, certainly enough to make them a, an outstanding team last year. A little bit of foreshadowing there with the opposing pitcher for the Nationals at the time as they were in closer disarray. Ryan Madsen was finishing games for them. He's the one who gives up that grand slam. He gets traded to the Dodgers later on, ends up being a goat in the World Series, giving up a couple big homers to the Red Sox. Right. Well, that's what you do if you're a relief pitcher and been around for a while. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to have your opportunities he, to give it and up. And you have had to be good enough for many years to get that opportunity to be that bad. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, there was uh, a few others, and we'll, we'll take your phone calls along the way as we talk about these. Uh, this is Mike downtown on 670 The Score. What's up, Mike? How are you? Good morning, fellas, and thanks for your show. Uh, my question, Bruce, really relates to an interesting article in The Athletic the other day, which was talking about the demise of the Tribune sports section. As a Sox, lifelong Sox fan, I am paranoid always of the Sox moving. And my concern is that the Tribune, you know, and I like your views, if the Tribune continues to reduce its coverage and it continues to decline to have a regular beat reporter covering the Sox, yes. and if the Sox radio broadcasts with fine gentlemen, but they're past their prime, continue to flatline, how do the Sox build a fan base Without the without, not the support, but without a viable media channel, uh, I worry about this. There's how, how do they get the story out other than on your show? Wins, wins, and more wins, and uh, stars, stars, and more stars. Does Manny Machado start that off? Speaks is that is that where they? I mean that that is get good. I mean that's the emphasis of it is getting you know identifying star players right now. For the Chicago White Sox, who are they identifying? I mean, there's more thrust toward Eli, uh, Eloy Jimenez yeah. as the next star of the team than it is for Jan Mankata right now. Oh, man, if we're talking about actual highlights of consequence in this White Sox season, it was watching Eloy in the minors on a wide oh, array no of weird video outlets and, and people's, you know, camera phones sometimes. And, 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 give the and White reading S- about Dylan Cease. Give the White Sox and Scott Reifert, who, who is the head of communications for them, along with a fine media relations department with Bob Bechtel and Ray Garcia, uh, the credit for helping line up on television with NBC Sports Chicago all of those minor leagues games over the last couple of years. How creatively, essentially brilliant is that to show the players you really want to show mm-hmm. alongside of this team that's losing 100 ball games? Like, okay, we're losing here, but look at this guy. Look at Kopech. Look at Jimenez. Look at some of the young guys. Look at Dylan Cease. We're going to show you their games as well. And I think that type of marketing and that type of uh, creative thinking helps the White Sox start to get back to relevancy as far as, you know, like Mike said, uh, the White Sox not even being covered full-time by a beat person. I mean, I don't know if you were aware of that. Yeah, I was. And then last year after they they, they fired – Chris um, Cook, uh, for the last three weeks of spring training, they had nobody. You know, they had nobody there. Okay, so so that type of irre- that's amazing in the that's, spring. It's pretty irrelevant um, all years long. So I, I understand Mike's concern about the fact that you know these are major league games, live action, and they're not being covered by you know one of the main 
newspapers that's left in the Chicagoland area. If you start to win, that the coverage will come. It, it will. You have to resist the temptation to become relevant because you're desperate. You have to resist that. Like the Cincinnati Reds are trying to become relevant. Well, that's not going to make them great. It's yeah, not going to make them a contender. I think the point Mike uh, needs to understand, too, and I think we all know this, is that um, these media companies and newspapers are trying to survive. So they're picking their fights as far as, right. you know, they, you know, they just given a ton of buyouts. Our good friend Steve Rosenblum will be on with you at 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. uh, took one of those. And they're losing these great reporters, these great columnists like Steve and David Hall, who's on our station now, uh, <laughs> because uh, they can't afford to pay them what they're worth. And their product is really suffering because of it. It's an awfully thin newspaper, both of them, in this town these days. Uh, the bottom of the hour is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. The first place Chicago Wolves have four players who are in the top ten in AHL scoring. Be there tonight as the Wolves host Rockford in an Illinois Lottery Cup game. And meet your favorite characters on Superhero Night, powered by Xfinity. Visit ChicagoWolves.com. We'll talk to Jim Leland at the top of the hour. But more of your phone calls coming, Ron and Will. And there's Fred still. We'll get you, Fred. Ron and we, Will we, and Fred. We, we miss Fred. Yes. Uh, we will get you guys in as we talk about the best Cubs and White Sox moments of 2018. We'll start to look ahead as the show rolls on as well. It's inside the clubhouse on 670, the score. Two down ninth inning. A line drive toward right coming in. Ball game over. Ben Zobris makes the catch. A remarkable come from behind win by the Chicago Cubs. They trailed 9-1 to one and 10-2 to two and came from behind to win it 14-10. to 10. That was just such a bizarre and wonderful comeback at Wrigley Field on the 14th of April on an ugly day, wasn't it, Bruce? It wasn't for you and the missus. It was not. It was uh, my wedding day, in fact. I wrote about it um, that week on 670 The Score. Just tweeted out that link again because it was a a crazy day, and I am not ashamed to say that I missed the comeback. I missed the the comeback because I had to to make the best decision for my family, Bruce. We had two kids and a couple of in-laws and and a wife in a wedding dress, and we had to walk out of the suite there at Wrigley Field to go get to the parking lot. Understood, and you will (laughs) regret it for the rest of your life. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) No, I'm saying I made the right choice. It just would have been been really nice to actually see it. I hear you, and I I feel you're about 80% on that. See, this is the thing, though. We watched it. We watched the entire thing, the replay via MLB TV, on the computer in the hotel suite the next morning. Because you love sports so much and because you love baseball uh, in particular, Uh, uh, this is really a test of your new marriage from the very beginning. Oh, from the the get-go. Yeah, it's like... I left one of the legendary games in history yes. to marry you today. Right. That's got to mean something. I, to to I somebody. Should, yeah. I, it, it, asked, it should mean a lot to her. It well, really should. That would be the goal, but yeah. I'm still waiting on that. I'm still, <laughs> still waiting on that, giving me any kind of uh, leeway. This is Will on 290 on 670 The Score. You're on Inside the Clubhouse. What's up, Will? Hey, good morning, Speaks. Good to hear your voice, man. Long time. Thanks, brother. Love you. Love you. Love you. Um, I was going to keep my mouth shut and let the adults talk about cookies, but <laughs> you brought up the point about a favorite Cubs moment of the year. Yes. The feel-good moments, obviously, that Hayward Grand Slam, after all he's been through, that was really nice to see. But my favorite pinpoint moment was the Hamels trade and the ripple effect it had at that point in time on the rest of the pitching staff, the veteran presence, the importance of the change-up. Mm-hmm. Everyone's throwing 97, 98 these days. 
You got Hamels coming in with pinpoint accuracy, veteran grit, and that changeup that's second to none. Maybe Kyle Hendricks will surpass him, but that was that was my uh, favorite moment. Yeah, for you the know year. what? You bring up a good one, and uh, that and uh, the the move for uh, for Daniel Murphy were pivotal for both. Uh, the Cubs uh, during those times. It it added this veteran presence, and right away with uh, Hamill's great starts, probably his first six or so, and then on top of that, Speaks, the idea that Murphy for the first two weeks before he totally wore out yeah. was great for a couple weeks. carrying the team uh, mm-hmm. and finding somebody at the top of the order that could have not just a good at bat, but great at bats. You know, the thing about Hamels was he went on that incredible run of all those starts, and it was like, oh, my God, look at this. This is what happens when you get a real good vet who suddenly is playing in a place where it matters. And if I had to pick one highlight, and we were, I almost did this morning, that complete game. Right. Homer and Hamels had the complete game, and the bullpen had been exhausted just about every game in that stretch, and there's Hamels, and they had a big lead, and he didn't need to do it, but it was one of those times where it's like, Go ahead. Go ahead and let him go because very few pitchers around baseball are even given the chance to do it, and he's a guy who's earned that chance. It's going to be interesting to see what he does for a whole year knowing that uh, uh, his season uh, for the first half or a little more uh, in Texas was not good. Uh, He was coming off of uh, poor starts, and uh, I think the uh, Epstein and Hoyer and the the top scouts who looked at Hamels for the Cubs should be lauded for – really perceiving a guy that was uh, pitching in a one of the worst ballparks in baseball for pitchers and pitching on a non-contending team on a daily basis, a poor defensive team, and that once he would come to the Cubs, the stuff was still there. And that's what they, that's what they were counting on, the fact that his fastball, even at age 35, was still up a tick. Uh, from the beginning of the season, and that he's a well-conditioned guy who is always prepared to pitch. Uh, they really did their homework, and it really helped save their season. It really did. Uh, the the one under underreported part of 2018 for me, Speaks, yeah, is the way that Montgomery performed after Darvish went down May 20th and was no longer available for the rest of the year. Montgomery probably had eight or nine outstanding starts in a row where he gave the the team a chance to win in a, a very unflashy way. And that type of uh, stopgap before they got Hamels was key to the Cubs continuing on and not faltering when both uh, Chatwood and Darvish was uh, were offering nothing. There's a couple years in a row now that Mike Montgomery, a few years in a row, has shown you the ability to really be that swing guy. It's 124 innings for Mike Montgomery. Uh, the FIP was, was under four. And just, you know, it's 38 games, 19 starts to be able to get that from a guy with that that demeanor is tremendous. Just look at the day-by-day of those starts from May 25th on and uh, the the credible way he kept giving them five, six uh, innings uh, every time out with a very low run production against him. That that was a, a key for the season that... Very few people point to him. I'm sure everybody on that team mm-hmm. and the front office understand how essential that was to getting bridging to getting uh, Cole Hamels. May 28th, right there, starting there, there was uh, five starts in a row with one earned run or less. And Pretty good. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. to come out of, out of the pen and immediately give you that. This is Ron on the south side on 670 The Score. What do you say, Ron? How are you? Hey, guys, real quick. Highlight definitely what I'm having on Michael Kopech. 
come up. But it, it was uh, one other real quick was guys. It wasn't a particular game, but seeing Ronaldo Lopez pitch, I, yeah. that, that's what I really enjoyed because I'm looking forward to him. But but Bruce, you asked about for next year. We really need to see about Johan Moncada. Uh, is he going to be able to play de- defense? Because we know Magical will probably be second base, but uh, offense, the strikeout, that, to me, that's the biggest thing. Because the temper is your whole thing. We hear about these prospects. He's the number two prospect in baseball. You know, so he's here. But to me, that's the biggest thing. It's not about getting Bryce Harper. It's like, where the, the type of player he's going to be. So, guys, have a happy new year. Yeah, you, you too, Ron. Ron. You Thank too, Ron. you. Thank you. Uh, it's a great point, Matt. Uh, the continued growth of the players on that team. Mancata is likely to be the opening day third baseman for the White Sox this year. That, that probably bounces Sanchez back to second base oh, temporarily. You think they'll go ahead and do opening day third base? I think so. And I think Sanchez bounces to second base, a natural position for him, until uh, Madrigal is ready either at the end of 2019 or early 2020. Hmm. That's why uh, I think Sanchez is such a valuable player for that team because he stepped in and played a very credible third base this last year and a half uh, when they didn't really have a defensive third baseman. He had never played there much. Uh, he's a natural second baseman shortstop, and uh, he's going to go and do a, a better job defensively at second base than Mankata was able to do. Later on today, Bruce, there is a Miller Lite top draft broadcast at Buffalo Wild Wings in Orland Park at uh, 15888 South LaGrange Road. And they're going to be there, Julie DeCaro and Maggie Hendricks. So it's the Julie and Maggie show from 445 to 8 p.m. this evening at Buffalo Wild King, Buffalo Wild Wings in, uh, in Orland Park. And Lance Briggs will be there from 6 o'clock to 7.30. Not, not to miss radio for sure. Yeah. So Julie, Maggie, and Lance tonight at Buffalo Wild Wings. Watch the broadcast while you're there. Enter for a chance to win Bears tickets, take-home score prizes, all brought to you by Miller Lite. Hold true. We are uh, going to, in just a few moments, talk to Jim Leland about MLB, about uh, what's going on as far as uh, the Hall of Fame. He, of course, was a coach on the Chicago White Sox. For five years, when Harold Baines was there, he was Barry Bonds' first manager. We have the Hall of Fame voting coming up uh, here on January 22nd. The announcement will be made. So we'll get some insight in Jim. Also, he, he's involved with baseball rules for MLB. Mm. I'd like to talk to him a little bit about some of the shifting going on. Uh, and more importantly, could he manage in this era knowing the metrics that are involved and the, <laughs> and the communication that has to be involved with the front office in game. As the analytics guys are making their way onto coaching staffs, one down there in Tampa, a 28 year old with a math degree from Princeton will be in full uniform uh, this year in Tampa as an, as, as an analytical but will coach. Will he be wearing wingtips? <laughs> I, I don't think so. You think spikes? I, I think, I think it's a sign that, you know, the nerds have won. Congratulations, man. You're on coaching staffs now. I think he's amazing. I think at the least he should be forced to wear a tie. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody knows who he is. And they all have respect for who he is. Managers fully behind it. Of course they they're do. Fully embracing it. Because it's about translating the information to the players in a relatable we're, way. We're in an era in everything where you try anything that's going to be help you improve and that you can you can 
put down on a piece of paper or on a computer, and you can supply the information and the data that proves that this may help. It would be awfully silly to just turn your back on information that might give you an edge, might give you the opportunity to win. Uh, he is Bruce Levine. I am Matt Spiegel. It is Inside the Clubhouse. Jim Leland will join us next on 670 The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 